Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 162. We'll continue in the Psalms with a brief summary of chapters 36 through 39 and follow with some thoughts about snapping all of our troubles away. Psalm 36 starts in the mind and heart of the wicked. Crime personified is speaking, quote, There is no fear of God before my eyes, for it caressed him with its eyes to find sin of hatred. Evil is seductive. Every thought, every word, every action is directed toward fueling that evil. Even while the wicked lay in bed, they're plotting wickedness. But the righteous person draws their strength from God directly, quote, For with you is fountain of life. In your light we shall see light. Psalm 37 is an acrostic with a simple message. If you do good, it will be good. Though there will be temptations along the way, quote, do not be incensed by evildoers. No, not envy those who do wrong, for like grass they will quickly wither, and like green grass they will fade. The psalm spends 28 verses setting out a rather optimistic view of the world, where the wicked are punished and the righteous rewarded, quote, and very soon the wicked will be no more. You will look at his place, he'll be gone. And then there's this line that reverberates every time a traditional Jew recites the Birkat Hamazon, the grace after meals. Quote, a lad I was, and now I am old, and I never have seen a just man forsaken and his seed seeking bread. For many, the dissonance of that line squaring with the reality of lived experience is too much, so they whisper it instead of recite it aloud. Psalm 38 finds the poet in a bad way, quote, For your arrows have come down upon me, and upon me has come down your hand. There is no whole place in my flesh through your rage, no soundness in my limbs through my offense. Oh, damn! And on top of that, the poet is isolated, quote, My friends and companions stand off from my plight, and my kinsmen stand far away, which gives his enemies an opportunity to strike at him, to which he responds with, Silence. Quote, but like the deaf, I do not hear, and like the mute whose mouth will not open. So naturally, he turns to God to confess his sins and beg forgiveness and hope that God will, quote, hasten to my help, O master of my rescue. In Psalm 39, he continues his silence in the face of his enemies. Quote, let me keep a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked is before me. But while his heart burns from within him, quote, in my thoughts a fire burned. And he opens his mouth to drop some serious philosophy. Quote, Mere breath is each man standing, Sela. In but shadow a man goes about. Mere breath he murmurs. He stores and knows not who will gather. The only consolation to be found in this is the Eternal, who might grant him some forgiveness before, quote, I depart and am not. And on that very Jobian note, here endeth the lesson. In Sefer Chazon Ish, published in 1911, Rav Avraham Yeshaya Karlitz describes the following scenario. A projectile is on target to hit and kill a crowd of people, but I am in position to deflect it so that the crowd would be saved, but some other individual would be killed. What should I do? Here's another possibly related scenario. A group of hostages will all be killed unless they hand over a random member of the group to be executed. 
what should the group do? According to the Mishnah, Trumot chapter 8, Mishnah 4, it is forbidden for the group to save themselves by giving up one of the members. Does this halacha help us in the earlier case with the projectile? The Chazon Ish says that the cases are not comparable. My deflecting the projectile is a positive act. It saves the crowd, but it has a negative consequence. An individual dies. In the case of the hostages, the handing over is a negative act. The individual that we hand over dies, but there's a positive consequence that is that the rest of the group survives. So what's to be done? One might say that, yes, I should deflect the projectile since at the moment I'm redirecting it away from the crowd, no one is being killed. But the thing is that moments later, I'm directly causing the death of another person. As opposed to the situation with the captives, because, you know, when the group turns over one of their own to someone else, that someone else kills them. The group is not directly the cause of that individual's death. But there are some who would allow turning over the single person in the case where that person was already liable for the death penalty, but that's kind of a stretch. The Chazon Ish leaves the question unresolved. Incidentally, Rabbi Eliezer Waldenberg, otherwise known as the Tzitz Eliezer, I love that name, let's say it again, the Tzitz Eliezer, it's an amazing non-diplume. Anyway, he rejects the Chazon Ish's suggestion outright. He states that, quote, in a case of definite killing, we do not say that the many are preferred. Well, if this scenario sounds familiar, it's because it was the subject of a recent episode of The Good Place. Oh, God! Michael, what did you do? I made the trolley problem real so we could see how the ethics would actually play out. There are five workers on this track and one over there. Here are the levers to switch the tracks. Make a choice. The thing is, I mean, ethically speaking... No time, dude! Make a decision! Well, it's tricky! I mean, on the one hand, if you ascribe to a purely utilitarian worldview... Okay. So, what did we learn? This ethical dilemma was also dramatized in the blockbuster superhero Fuster Cluck, Avengers Infinity War. There will be spoilers, I guess, or maybe not, but the movie's been around for a while and there's this thing called the internet, so if you've been living in a cave since 2018, I have no idea how you're listening to this podcast, so spoilers. Moving on, Thanos. Well, let, let's let the mad titan Thanos explain the dilemma himself. Little one, it's a simple calculus. This universe is finite, its resource is finite. If life is left unchecked, life will cease to exist. It needs correction. You don't know that! I'm the only one who knows that. At least I'm the only one with the will to act on it. And the thing is, it's not a scenario for him. It's not a thought experiment. He experienced the death of his world because of overconsumption. He sees the dilemma as follows. Do nothing and everyone dies. Or get all the infinity stones and kill half of all life in the universe, thus saving the other half. I guess I could introduce the jargon now, the whole utilitarian versus Kantian deontological split. Chidi kind of does that in the clip from The Good Place. But let's keep it simple. Thanos's first option is subject to rules. We have rules about murder. We don't do it. So if a situation comes up where I have to murder someone, I just try to avoid that. I don't do it. Harken back to the situation with captives that we described from the Mishnah. Even there, where I'm not doing the actual direct murdering, I'm prohibited from taking part in the process that will lead to murder. 
The second option strives to get the best outcome for the most people. If I had to choose between everyone dying and only half of people dying, half the people dying is better. Thanos says that everybody knows this, but they're afraid to do anything about it, so he is taking on the job of doing the thing everyone should but won't do. But there's another iteration of this trolley problem in the same film. Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, has the power to destroy one of the stones Thanos needs, and in so doing, derailing Thanos' plan, game over, roll credits. But the problem is... The stone is in Vision's head, and if she removes it, Vision dies. And she loves Vision and doesn't want to pull that lever. So it's kind of like Chidi opting to pull the lever and save the five because, well, it, you know, five is more than one, except that the one is Henry, a personal friend. <laughs> oh, I forgot to tell you, this is the scenario where you actually know one of the people. It's your friend Henry there. Chidi! How are you, mate? Eric, move! Oh, nice trolley. Out of the way! I can't, Chidi. My boots are stuck in the trash. Eric, move! Anyway, long time no So Wanda's version of the dilemma is do nothing and half the planet dies, or kill my beloved vision, destroy the stone, and save half the planet. Well, what would you do? Is option one even, like, a serious option? Would you go for option one, doing nothing, resulting in half the planet dying just so you don't have to kill your boyfriend? Yeesh, I mean, you love your boyfriend, but come on, do the math. And the thing is that Vision lays it all out. He says, quote, Thanos threatens half the universe. One life cannot stand in the way of defeating him. Done deal. No, he's giving permission. However, Captain America, Steve Rogers, replies, but it should. In the end, Wanda destroys the stone. The thing is... There is a solution. Michael from The Good Place solves it. I just solved the trolley problem. Remember the thought experiment where you're driving the trolley and you can either plow into a group of people or turn and hit one person? I solved it. That's really great, but I don't think now's the time. See, the trolley problem forces you to choose between two versions of letting other people die. And the actual solution is very simple. Sacrifice yourself. What does that mean? You look after the others. They need you. No. Step away from the portal! Goodbye. No, no, wait, wait! So I have a wrinkle to the trolley problem, and it's not a new one. It's one actually intimated by the poet in Psalm 37. Quote, And very soon the wicked will be no more. You will look at his place. He'll be gone. Or to rephrase it in terms we've used already, a projectile is on target to hit and kill a crowd of many, many, many wicked people. And I'm in a position to deflect it so that the crowd of many, many, many wicked people would be saved, but maybe an innocent, righteous individual would be killed. Or, to put it in other terms, I do nothing and everyone dies. Or, I get all the infinity stones, and with a snap of my fingers, make all the wicked people in the universe disappear, like the poet says, quote, gone in smoke, gone. Doesn't the poet want option two? Isn't that what he's asking for? He is. But with an important difference. The poet doesn't want Thanos to do it. When Thanos was doing this thing, you know, on a smaller scale, he would draw lots and massacre the innocent with the guilty. And more to the point, he'd leave some guilty around to do more mischief after the cull. Thanos' system may be fair, but it's not just. The poet wants someone just to don the gauntlet and snap. 
God, he believes, is a better judge of character. I tend to agree. But unless there's a sequel planned for Endgame, I guess we'll have all the time to wait until the next snap takes care of business once and for all. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about Tanakhcast. Tell a friend about Tanakhcast over coffee. Send another friend an email or text, nothing fancy. Help your aunt who just got her first smartphone to download a podcatcher and subscribe to Tanakhcast. And if you have a spare moment after all that, write a brief glowing review at Apple Podcasts. Apparently it helps people who might be interested in a little Bible learning vibe this podcast. And it's also a nice thing to do. If you want to help in an even bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast at Patreon.com and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 163, when we continue in Psalms with chapters 40 through 43.